Morn! <laughs> sorry, sorry. You know, <laughs> so this is kind of a fun idea for an episode. It falls flat, if I could be blunt. And it's funny because it wouldn't actually be all that hard to fix the episode, in my opinion. The problem is, on the one hand, an episode like this could only really work relatively into the show. Because Morn himself needs to be established in order to make this work. But on the other hand, this feels like a season two episode. No, seriously. Especially think about Quark and the way he acts and the way he behaves. He is stupid, short-sighted, gullible, and... Um, I don't want to say greedy because that feels like saying duh, but what I... Like, blinded is actually kind of the word I want to use there. And I could see that from season two, Quark. This is the Quark who killed two Jem'Hadar to break out Kira from a Dominion holding cell. This is the Quark who, who was attempting to lead a raid and then led a negotiation slash raid also against the Dominion to save his mother. This is the Quark who... Uh, I mean, he's had character development. This feels like character regression. Now, I know what I just said, but I'm going to say something else related to that. Oh, excuse me. Even the writers apparently had issues with this, because apparently the original draft was even worse, and was written to be such broad comedy that you know, it was completely out of character, and Echeverria had to go back and do a polishing pass in order to revise the script. But that being stated, and I'm not going to give up my dismissal of the script and the characterization of Quark, uh, it is worth noting that when money gets involved, people get weird. Like, this is a universal truth. It's actually kind of strange to observe. You know, you want to get someone a gift. If you give them something that's like an actual gift, they're more likely to be... Uh, it, it, things are more likely to get weird if you just give them straight-up cash. Especially if you don't know the person that well. I've actually encountered this many times in real life because... Uh, well, it doesn't matter. But the point being... It's just something I've noticed, something I've observed. This is this goes for personal relations, business relations, interactions with strangers, doesn't matter. So, to put this into perspective, what's a lot of money to you? Million dollars? Let's assume taxes are removed from the equation. So, you get net one million dollars after taxes, after everything. That's a lot of freaking money. And I think a lot of people understand just how much money that is. What they're talking about in this episode is a gargantuan amount of money. So imagine someone offered you a billion dollars. That's all of a sudden levels of insane money, right? That's that's like entering, you know, state GDP range. And it's all yours. I mention this because this is the problem with handling type, the, that amount of money. Because someone who might otherwise be inclined to be a decent person might have those boundaries broken by the sheer quantity of the money involved. As I like to say, when it comes to extremes, the rules tend to go out the window. So, I can kind of see why Quark would be, to put this as bluntly as possible, an idiot in this episode. Although it's worth noting we don't have a direct parallel from dollars to latinum. I, I know they have the whole latinum system. In fact, I think this is the first time we see bricks on camera. I could be wrong about that. But you kind of get my point. I'm still not willing to give it a, th a rest, though, because in my opinion, this would be an extremely easy episode to fix. 
at the end, have Quark basically reveal the fact that he was just playing along pretty much the entire time in cooperation with Odo in order to bag the bad guys. He was doing this because he would get kudo points and he would get the finder's fee. So he gets to show that he's a law-abiding citizen, who has nothing to do with these people, you know, brownie points, which Quark has learned is valuable in multiple episodes up till now. That came up with Kira, that came up with uh, the Bajorans when it came to the weapons dealing business. You know, I feel like there's a third example, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. There's been multiple examples of that. So he understands the value of intangible rewards. And he gets a finder's fee for helping to get these dangerous prisoners along. Then at the end, Morin comes back in, and surprise, he's had the latinum all along, and gives a little bit of the latinum in, exchange, in, in gratitude for Cork getting off his back. So then he gets the money too. Yay! Episode fixed. Instead, Quark is just a bumbling moron, which is, well, there's a term for that. It's actually called broad humor. Uh, I've actually talked about this concept several times before. In summary, the more broad humor is, the more uh, physical and, well, dumb it is. And I don't mean that as an insult, as weird as that may sound. What I mean by that is uh, slapstick or crude humor, you know, flatulence-related or humor that involves uh, someone in character being dumb and then getting a comeuppance for that. Those are the kind of things that are, tend to be more humorous to a larger group of people. Hence the term, broad humor. So the idea comes across that they are, were trying to go for that, so Cork's an idiot, so that it's funnier. And he nearly gets killed, he nearly gets his, arm, his thumb chopped off, because it's funnier that way. Now again, oh my god, I could buy this for season two, maybe. Season six? Halfway through season six, actually. Or I guess not quite halfway, because this is episode 12, I think. So we're almost halfway through season six. Now I don't buy it for a second. Now I do want to mention one other thing on the side. They have this nice little bit where they characterize more. And we, we find out about the bath... Uh, we find out about the fact that he was giving regular combat lessons with Worf. We find out that Dax had a crush on him, but Morin turned her down. Just all sorts of little tidbits like this. It's nice stuff. It's good stuff. I do like that they're trying to flesh out Morin as a character. Uh, even though he is effectively a running gag, I agree with, I believe it was Armin Shermerman who said, he's not an extra. Like, he's, he's a C-lister, but he's still a cast member, a regular cast member. Which is actually funny, because I want to bring up Mapella. Excuse me, Impella. Impella. I looked up a pronunciation guide. I want to bring up Impella. And you're probably thinking, who the hell is that? One of the things I pointed out over in TNG is the regular and recurring secondary, uh, you know, the people on the con, or the people in the background, or the people in the engineering, right? They had a, a trend of using the same... I don't want to use the word extra, but the same actor or actress over a fairly large period of time, often multiple seasons. And I praised that because, in my opinion, while that's not exactly the most glamorous job, and I will admit that freely, having that kind of regular continuity does help to bring the viewer in more. And in the episode I pointed it out, I believe it was Ensign Knight, I could be wrong about that. Um, in the episode I pointed it out, several people in the comments section pointed out, yeah, I recognized her. I remember her for multiple episodes because, you know, you get that kind of unintentional background continuity you're not really supposed to pay attention to, but it does subconsciously increase your enjoyment of what you're looking at because it makes it more believable. 
So I've always been in favor of recurring extras and recurring guest stars and recurring whatever in the background in order to kind of help sell a thing like Morn and like Empella. She, faced, she first came in, excuse me, in Empok Nor. Uh, she's the Dabo girl with, like, the really weird red dress that, like, goes across and then, then goes across again. Like a snake is wrapped around her. And uh, she's, you might recognize her as Terry Farrell's body double, which she's been doing for some time now. Uh, she will be in a lot of episodes. In fact, I looked up 23 episodes from Empok Nor until the finale. She's a fairly recurring background character. And again, that adds continuity. Like, and I bring this up because in this uh, in this episode, there's this bit where uh, Quark is like, ah, mourn, mourn, and she and Pella is in the background. And I was like, no, oh. just it was such a subconscious thing. Oh yeah, that's wait, that's in, what's her name? I should know her name. And I went to look it up, and I was like, ah, oh, that's right. Anyways, I just wanted to comment on that because, well, we're in season six and seven, and this is when DS9's really starting to hammer these points in. <laughs> As I've mentioned many times. Odo <laughs> really likes stringing... Oh, actually, I'm sorry, real quick, real quick. Uh, Kathy de Buono. Kathy de Buono. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but that's the one who plays Impella, and I wanted to give her shout-outs. Um, Odo really enjoys stringing Quark along in this episode, doesn't he? Like, at every step, he's just like, ah, ah, ah. It's probably one of the only parts I really enjoy about the episode. Again, I really wish Odo and Quark had been working together this whole time to catch the bad guys. It would really help out instead of them just stumbling together. At least when Quark warns Odo, Odo picks up on it. Thank God. <laughs> right at the end. Also, there's a nice little bit, and I'm sure everyone knows this, but if I don't point it out, people will think I missed it, where uh, Mark Allen Shepard, who is the gentleman who plays Morn, is playing a Bajoran, just random Bajoran, who has no lines of dialogue, of course. And uh, uh, Quark is like, here, come, sit. And he invites Mark Allen Shepard to sit in Morn's seat. I thought it was funny. It's probably the one thing that really made me laugh in the whole episode. So... There's this nice bit where Cork mentions that he had Rom scan the station for Latinum. Hey, that's actually pretty smart, and they usually forget that exists. Then later, they find out that in the assay office, there was a brick of Latinum. Now, <laughs> there's a previous episode, I forget which, that mentioned that they do have a security deposit thing on the station. But it's possible it was down on Bajor and not on the station. I'm only mentioning that because I almost feel like that's a plot hole. There's no latinum on the station. Here's a brick. <laughs> then again, the brick could have had no latinum in it, like the later bricks do. But whatever, as they say. I have this note here. Why is Cork this gullible? This is just... <sighs> While I'm talking about this, where the hell is Odo this whole time? Remember everything I told you about how people get weird when it comes to money? Especially a lot of money? Odo, to be perfectly blunt, should be like sticking to cork like glue, possibly literally. I mean, he's a shapeshifter. And this is a situation in Quark's life is going to be regularly endangered. In fact, Quark nearly died, if not for the fact that he was able to talk his way out of the situation. Where the hell's security? Don't tell me Odo is that callous as to allow Quark to potentially die because of this whole thing, just because it amuses him. I, I don't buy that either. Maybe in season two. <laughs> Recurring trend. Uh, by the way, I do notice that Admiral Black was in this episode. It's actually strange. The guy who plays Hean 
uh, also plays Dysic over in uh, Voyager, and Tandro here in DS9, and Admiral Black over in Enterprise. He's a semi-recurring guest star. The only problem is, while he's actually good and I like him, he, he does a good job with his role, he looks and sounds almost identical every time he shows up. So it's always one of those, hey, it's that guy kind of a situations. So, naturally, when they finally open the brick, the, the vault with the bricks, everyone tries to kill each other. You know, I have to admit, I don't understand that. Oh, don't mistake me. Like I said, people get weird around money. But if you are being offered, let's go back to my analogy, if you're being offered $200 million in, and as, as a, instead of $1 billion, I mean, isn't that enough? $200 million is already a ludicrous amount of money, especially for an individual, right? Do you really need to kill people to get more of the billion? Now, granted, I don't understand greed, personally, because I just don't think that way. But I look at that and I think, what are you doing? I mean, you're risking dying and losing your $200 million in exchange for the possibility of gaining more of a pie that is so huge you'll never finish eating it. I don't understand people. Anyways, so they try to kill each other. Odo comes in. Yay! Episode wraps up. We we find the conclusion. Oh my god, all the odds today. This big epic conclusion. One of the things I don't get to praise Mark Allen Shepard enough for is his facial acting. Now, this is kind of logical. He's wearing a lot of makeup, and he can't talk. So he, there's only so much he can do, but he actually manages to do quite a bit with just the structure of his face and what he does with his eyes in the final scene where Cork is confronting him. It's actually pretty good, and I wanted to give special praise to that. Unfortunately, I just, just don't have much else to share about this episode. It's a quick, fluffy little piece, which admittedly doesn't really work for me. I mean, it's nowhere near lamentation status, but ultimately this is usually on my skip list, because, okay. And I feel that's a bit regrettable. Because it's nice to see Deep Space Nine do stuff like this. I mean, yes, this is a Quark episode. But how many episodes, how many shows of Star Trek do you know that are willing to do an entire episode effectively focused on a C-lister? Later on, DS9 will be doing this again. More than once. Which just kind of shows the mentality that goes into this sort of thing. I've heard a lot of people say that DS9 is an ensemble cast, and I've said it myself. This is interesting because if you think about it, they do still have the same Star Trek approach. They're still the main characters, and they still get the overwhelming bulk of attention. I think the reason myself and others are willing to accept that DS9 is more of an ensemble cast than the other shows is because every now and again, they spend a lot of camera time, a lot of spotlight attention on the non-main characters. And it helps to flesh them out, and it helps to flesh the world out, and I think that's really the difference. We didn't really see a big Chekhov episode, you know? There weren't really any strong... Well, that's not a, that's not a fair comparison. <laughs> um, and I was going to say, there's not really any strong Beverly Crusher episodes over in TNG. There's actually, like, one, which I really like. But in all sincerity, she didn't get a lot of episodes dedicated to Crusher, and she's not even supposed to be a C-lister, right? You get the general gist of it. Overall, I did still enjoy this episode, but I've run out of things to talk about, and that's my usual rule. So I'll see you next time, guys.